Today's pod is brought to you by Waterfront Comics, located at 609 Main Street, Sassoon City, California. Open every day from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. So if you're looking for a gift for an avid comic book reader or a collectible for a friend, come to Waterfront Comics. John is the guy to see. And if you can't come in person, no worries. Waterfront Comics does ship to home via their email, waterfrontcomics at gmail.com. Hey everybody, this is James and Marco and Nabil. And this is the Movie Pals Podcast, podcast number 64. Today is a special pod. We're not actually doing a movie review today. We're going to be doing our annual best of. So this will be the best of 2019. And because we just ended a decade here as well, we're going to do a pretty short segment on it, but also our picks for the best movies from each year from 2010 to 2019, also known as the decade. Is it? I believe so. Oh, I can't count, so I wouldn't know. 10 years. It's a long time, guys. Long time. Yeah. Also, James, I thought you were going to say that we were actually not here right now. Doing this freaking pod. <laughs> I don't even know what that means, but okay. So if you're new to the pod here, we've, I think this is, this is our third one. Third I think. One yep. Yeah. Look at that. So what we're going to do here, the, the way that we introduce these films is that we don't go down a list per se. It's whoever has the highest ranking, AKA whoever is the closest to the number one pick. That's when we wait to talk about all of them or else we're talking about the movie three different times sometimes. And then it, that just jambles things up. So we don't want to confuse anybody. Right. Um, we will have a list of everything here. So on our description of the podcast, you're going to see our list. You're going to see it on social media, on Facebook, on Instagram, on all that good stuff. So you're not going to get confused. Trust us on this. It, it The flow of it works out pretty well. But we'll basically go down our list. We do have 10 films each. As well as two honorable mentions. Yeah, so just follow along and yeah. see if any of these match your list if you have one. Or if not, once we post this episode, you guys can go ahead and tell us what your picks were. I was going to say, I hope it's not too, to, too uh, divisive for everyone. Um, I think we're we're pretty uh, even peel, but I always like to throw in curveballs here, so I'm sure there'll be some comments. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. Nabil's, I mean, looking at his list, it's just, I don't know what happened here, so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I made some questionable ones, too, but, I mean, they're the ones that spoke to me. But hey, you know what? Everyone has different tastes, so we'll see what surprises we have during the pod. Yeah, definitely. So without further ado, guys, let's get into the Movie Pals Best of 2019. Tell me a story. You know how sometimes things line up? I haven't seen you before, have I? It took me 20 years to find you. It is simply extraordinary. You're magic, like me. I don't know about magic. You have something very rare. Beyond anything anyone has ever felt before. I came looking for answers. I don't have the answers. But I know we end up where we're meant to be. Some people believe if we repeat stories often enough, 
They make us who we are. Do you consider yourself a hero? Put some clothes on. Let's go for a ride. Everything you see exists together in a delicate balance. The universe has a way of leading you to where you're supposed to be at the moment you're supposed to be there. I'm scared. It's all right. You're gonna make mistakes, and that's okay. You're made of everything you do. Ready? Sure. that brought us together. And that magic is called hope. There is only one way this ends. Last man standing. And so it begins. Thank you for this journey, no matter how it ends. So we're going to start with my first honorable mention. It's uh, The Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw. Pick a door. All right, then. No, that's my door. Pick another door. What's wrong with you? You know what? You were right. This is your door. What's the matter? You got a lot of bad guys behind that door? So I know it's it's a bit odd that I put it on the list at all. I wouldn't say it's one of my favorite films, but it of the year, I wanted to give it a shout out because it was the most action-packed, nonsensical, just fun movie of the year. I, I thoroughly enjoyed myself, and I thought it deserved a shout out. It didn't make a lot of people's list, I'm sure, but um, no. it, was, it was just fun. It was a fun movie, and sometimes you just <laughs> want that, especially for a summer blockbuster film. <laughs> Now, Bill, I thought you chose it because it had to do with... Uh, oh, wait, no. This one didn't have to do with family. <laughs> exactly. I didn't see that, actually. I, I mean, technically, Shaw has a, his sister in it. So, I mean, it is about family. Is family. <laughs> and The Rock is interested in her. So, that's also family. Always, uh, I mean, I... As you guys know, we did an t- entire podcast on Fast and Furious leading up to Hobbs and Shaw. And I think... I truthfully, it's one of the marathons that I think probably hurt us, or at least me personally, leading into watching Hobbs and Shaw. Because by then I was so burned out on fucking import cars and everything, and yeah. I was like, okay. But I think probably a rewatch. Uh, I mean, it's not a bad movie, Hobbs and Shaw. We had fun. I think overall we all had fun with it. Still, I just Elba was a pretty good uh, antagonist in that one. Yeah, I I agree. I think that. Although it was a fun movie, I had to make room on my list. And as I was skimming through it, ultimately, I just said, not going to make it. Oh, yeah. This didn't even this didn't even make my top like 40. So, I mean, <laughs> it wasn't even on his radar. guys. <laughs> I didn't think you liked this movie, Nabil. No, I actually did. I love the cars and the chemistry between The Rock. And uh, we, we talked about it in the, in the pod. Yeah. But it was just a fun popcorn film. And, you know, I do like to see a, uh, one of those films once a year. At least it's just wholesome entertainment and not something to be too flashy yeah um and it's not taking itself serious and that was uh that was helps and shot for me all right and now we will move on to my honorable mention which just so happens to be 
Ready or not? So, at midnight, you have to play a game. Why? It's just something we do when someone new joins the family. A game. What game? Hide and seek? Are we really gonna play that? Well, the rules are simple. You can hide anywhere. We then try to find you. So there's no way for me to win, right? I mean, stay hidden till dawn. <laughs> no, thank you. Good luck. What the hell is this? How old is this thing? I know you're in here. So this movie actually didn't make it because kind of semi-spoiler alert, I already have two horror movies on my list. And to fit another one into it, I just felt that it wasn't fair to the rest of the list. I also had a bit of an issue with parts of the ending. Don't get me wrong. I was satisfied with the movie. I thought it was executed well. I liked some of the new elements that the director introduced into the movie, how it subverted certain expectations, how it explored horror in different aspects. But ultimately, I just had to cut it. That being said, obviously, I still think it was an enjoyable movie and I would definitely watch it again. So, yeah. And I believe that this one was also one of Nabil's honorable mentions, mentions too. Yeah, I, I have this on my list also as an honorable mention. And it's the same kind of reasons. It's it's a good horror film. It's not too scary. It's got a little bit of gore. And also, it's just a different kind of film. It's witty. It's it's knows what it is and is not taking itself too seriously. You don't get to see a lot of those uh, throughout each year. There's only a handful of those kind of gems that, that come out, for especially in the horror genre. So this was just definitely one that I... There were so many other good films that... I just wanted to make sure I, I put this out there for everyone to know about. And actually, this was on one of my original lists of my uh, top films. This was on a honorable mention, actually, for me. But until recently, I saw a film about a week ago that knocked it off. So it was one of those things where I had to make a choice. And I mean, I, I think Samara Weaving is amazing in this movie. Yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to her. She's going to be in the Bill and Ted movie. She's one of the daughters. So. Solid movie, great horror film. I think it's one of those films that I'm probably going to watch more than once again, too. So, uh, I mean, that's a solid honorable mention from you guys. So, Awesome. All right, guys. So we're going to jump into our main picks now. As you can tell, only uh, some of our other honorable mentions are in people's picks. So you'll hear about those later. So, And we will bring up what the positions are for these ones. But uh, at number 10, though, no one else had this film. So for my number 10 pick of 2019, I chose... Doctor Sleep. When I was a kid, there was a place. A dark place. They closed it down and let it rot. But the things that lived there. They come back. So Dr. Sleep is a sequel to The Shining. And I know I brought it up before about on our what we've been watching, but it takes place and it features a adult Dan Torrance who is played by Ewan McGregor in this film. And I really enjoy this one. I think this is the best horror film that I saw all year. I know that's kind of controversial because there's so many other ones too, but it was the one that I think I enjoyed the most because of the performances. I really liked that they brought the characters from The Shining. And it I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I've always kind of wondered. I'm like, I wonder what ever happened to those guys. And uh, it's a creepy film. I really like this director too. Mike Flanagan, I think, is one of the 
rising stars in horror today with his uh, show House on Haunting Hill on Netflix. He's done all these Stephen King's adaptations now that I think about it too. So Gerald's Game, all this stuff. So he's really good at implementing the Stephen King feel to his uh, yeah. to his work. And he's it's just a really solid horror film with really good acting. It has a very creepy vibe to the entire movie, but it also has a lot of hope in the film. There's a lot of uh, it's not so dreadful as you think, because I mean, the, the advertising for this film showed it like, oh, it's like a they're back in the hotel and people are getting killed. But it's it's one of those films that I think really it has a good feeling on itself near the end of the movie, especially about talking about death and such and what happens to you afterwards. And it, it's kind of like a relief because, I mean, there were some films Especially like I want to say Pet Cemetery this year, where it's it's like, man, this is just dreadful. Like I'm not looking forward to like dying, like <laughs> you know, like, and which is strange to say. But Doctor Sleep, on the other hand, it's like, oh, I mean, it gives you kind of some hope for like life after, and so just it's a, it's a really well told uh, movie. So excellent choice, James. And with that, I will move on to my number ten, which just so happens to be Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. It's an instinct. A feeling. The force brought us together. We're not alone. Good people will fight if we lead them. So this one is a fairly recent one that we just did. We obviously just had our Star Wars episode, if you've been keeping up with our episodes. And I was on the fence with with mentioning this one, but overall I gave it some thought. And with the second viewing, I really did enjoy the movie after all. it I think it was very entertaining. I think it was fulfilling to a point. It pretty much bookended a saga that was over 40 years in the making And to me, I think that's uh, an exceptional feat and something that would resonate through generations. Obviously, there there were some issues with the movie. It wasn't necessarily a perfect movie. But for me, it doesn't necessarily have to be a perfect movie to make it onto my top 10 list. I know maybe some of you would probably disagree out there, and that's totally fine. But I felt that it, it tugged on the right strings for me in order for it to make it onto the list. It was, you know, a very sentimental moment because it's most likely the last few times we will see any of the original members from the original trilogy on the big screen again, according to Disney. Who knows? That may change. But for the moment right now with the information that we have, that's how it's going to stand. I saw it in IMAX with James and was completely blown away with everything that, that was shown visually. I thought it was just an extraordinary movie. Uh, JJ just has an eye for visual effects and for cinematography, in my opinion. So the plot, you know, it's obviously, you know, debatable for some people. But overall, I think it delivered a satisfying ending for both Kylo, a.k.a. Ben Solo, and also for Ray. It's probably not the direction that everybody wanted, but for me, it worked. And also having viewing the entire saga leading up to episode nine, like I'd mentioned in the previous podcast, going all the way from episode one all the way to nine, it really does make sense with the details if you're really paying attention with the decision-making. Obviously, maybe some some of it may have been knee-jerk reactions, but overall, I was definitely satisfied with the movie. 
All right, so now we're going into my number nine pick, and also Marco's honorable mention, Booksmart. Amy, do you know how many girls are gonna be up your vagina next year? Every time I come to visit you, you're gonna be scissoring a different girl. Dude, scissoring is not a thing. Don't knock it until you've tried it. Don't knock it until you've tried it. What if I don't use my hands? You can make yourself calm using only your mind. No. That's like the one thing my mind can't do. No, I use just other stuff. That oh. little elephant? No, stop. That weird crochet pig. My grandma gave me that. You don't tell me what it is. You know I'm gonna get it. It's a panda. It's a panda, okay? What happened to her eye? That fell off way before anything happened between us. So Booksmart was a film that I wasn't sure if I was gonna like or not based off of the trailer. They were really trying to pitch it like super bad. Uh, and a bit raunchy and I'm always unsure about some of the the more edgier comedy movies because they kind of lead into that hard R but once I started watching the film and seeing uh, Beanie Feldstein's performance on there we'd seen her before in uh, Lady Bird and then seeing her in this film she was just so funny the film was very relatable Uh, and you know I'm not a teenage girl so what would I have to relate to (laughs) But um, <laughs> I really actually enjoyed the film a lot. I just thought it was a very good, well-written com- comedy, very witty. And uh, the the story was, it, it made sense what they were putting together. Just two girls that were antisocial, but also trying to be the best in their class. So it it was a very good comedy, very wholesome. And at the same time, it was just a very, my one of my favorite comedies of the year for sure. And then Marco, I, I know, you, like we said, you, this is also your honorable mention. Um, what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I agree with what you said. I really enjoyed the movie. I didn't really know what to expect other than possibly a super bad clone, if that. Um, but overall, I was generally surprised and entertained by it. It, it had its own little spin to it. Uh, it was Olivia Wilde's directorial debut, which is also really cool. But I like the characters, uh, Amy and um, the other character played by Beanie Feldstein, who I'm blanking on right now. But I thought they had really good chemistry. You could really believe their friendship and like they had established history. Uh, I liked the overall message of the movie, too. I thought it, it flowed very well and overall was really funny, too. But unfortunately, it didn't make it my top 10. I had to make room and it kind of hurt to cut this one out because I really wanted it to make my list. But if I had a top 20 list, it would be on it. So overall, yeah. really good movie, though. Uh, yeah, for this, I mean, this one did make for I saw it with you guys, too. Um, I don't know. This one just didn't do it for me. It's just one of those movies where, you know, it's hit or miss with comedy. And for me, I don't I didn't think it was that particularly funny. So. It did not make my list, but I see why you guys did it, though. So, All right. Uh, and now we're going to continue on with my list here. And we're going to my number eight, which is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm Rick Dalton. It's my pleasure, Mr. Schwartz. Call me Marvin. Put it there. That's your son? No, it's my stunt double, Cliff Booth. Last night, we watched a Rick Dalton double feature. <laughs> All the shooting... I love that stuff, you know, with the killing. A lot of killing. Anybody order fried sauerkraut? Have you Nazi bastards? <laughs> so apparently I was the only one that had it on his list. So I'm I'm alone on this one. The reason that I put it in my top ten, it isn't there would be we did talk about this film in a previous pod and we did criti- criticize kind of the fact that there was really no real plot in the film yeah i'm shocked this is on your list 
<laughs> what what I really liked about the film, and, and James knows that I'm like really big into cinematography and the way this film was shot and the way that Tarantino tried to make you feel like you were in 1969 and in that era of Hollywood and America before what they say, you know, they lose their innocence or we lose our innocence before the uh, uh, Manson murders. This film did such a good job of putting that together. Um, and I, it, it really, I seen it twice and each time I watched it, I really felt lost into that world and you don't always feel that way. You kind of just follow along with the story, but I just wanted to be a part of that era, just watching this film and that's really why, you know, just it was masterfully shot. The acting was really good, even though the story was a little thin. Um, and I thought that it was just a really well-crafted film overall. Well, I don't really agree with your opinion there, Nabil, 100%. But overall, good pick. And now on to my number eight, which so happens to be El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie. In the lion's cage and wait. I'm begging, please, I need this so much more You ready? Okay, so this one also happens to be James's number nine. And I really loved this movie. I thought that it was a perfect little bookend to the whole Breaking Bad series. I, I, it was completely unexpected. I know that uh, Vince Gillian filmed it in secrecy. I, it was huge secret. All the actors and actresses had to sign agreements to not spoil it. To even their friends or their loved ones. Yeah. So it was a pleasant surprise that this was actually released uh, on Netflix of all platforms too. And that it was actually a hit and a success and added more to the story than one could possibly believe. Like everyone thought that Breaking Bad just had one of the most perfect endings. And if you haven't seen it, I'm not really going to spoil it what that is. But at the same time, it kind of left it open for... Aaron Pauly's character, Jesse, to have like a fully fleshed ending. And maybe that's something that could have been explored. And that's exactly what happened in this. And I thought that it delivered it very well. The performances, of course, to no surprise, were done very well. There was a ton of Easter eggs that go back to as early as season one of Breaking Bad. And they're all sprinkled very smartly throughout the entire movie. Kind of blink if you miss uh, awesome cameos from some of the other cast members in the actual series. And I think it really left Jesse with a satisfying ending, the ending that he's earned and that he deserved after going through in the entire ordeal with uh, uh, the main character. I'm blanking here. Walter White? Walter White. There we go. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, definitely going to get shit for that one. But anyway, everything that he went with with Walter White, I think that it, it definitely showed that you know there is more for Jesse's story, and I was very well satisfied with it. So. Yeah, yeah, and this is my um, this was my number nine, I believe, right? Correct. Um, so this movie, I, I mean, I like this one a lot. Uh, 
it's one of those movies that it's not necessary for the series as a whole, but it was a nice little kind of epilogue like we talked about before on uh, what we were watching on this one. I, I mean, it's always one of those things where it's like, I wonder what happens to Jesse because in the series finale, he, he leaves off in a point where it's kind of unsure of what he does. And you, up until then, you kind of make up, I guess, what you think might have happened to Jesse. And it's just really about him just getting out of Dodge, you know, and trying to get up to Alaska. And he, he runs across some familiar faces. It just reminded me of how much I miss Breaking Bad directly. But I mean, for anybody that is really missing out, I you know, we always recommend checking out Better Call Saul. Absolutely. And it's a film that I think it doesn't really add too much to it other than finding out what happens to Jesse. And I think maybe that's why people thought maybe it was going to be a lot more crazier because the ending of the series ends in a kind of a big like action sequence and it's hmm. this one definitely tones it down but there's a lot of cool sequences where like jesse for instance is trying to get this money and he's sneaking around and you got two guys and it's like there's a this, it does a really good job with the suspenseful moments in this movie especially when uh, later on when he visits the um what are the the truck drivers or whatever that the clean crew the fake police yeah and that, that scene itself right. is at the super end. good right. and yeah. you get to see how he learned from his mentor Heisenberg yeah. as well because uh, that kind of mirrors the mm-hmm. ending of the actual series and how yeah. he confronts those guys so, so yeah I agree and with that being said we're gonna move on to my number seven Avengers Endgame God seems like a thousand years ago. I fought my way out of that cave, became Iron Man. Realized I loved you. I know I said no more surprises, but I was really hoping to pull off one last one. The world has changed. None of us can go back. can do is our best and sometimes the best that we can do is to start over i saw all these people die so this one also happens to be in bills number 10 and james honorable mention so they'll chime in on this one too I went into this list knowing that this movie had to be on my top 10 and I know it's a superhero film, but I feel like this movie accomplished something a decade in the, in the making and it accomplished a feat that made Hollywood history basically. And nothing like this has ever been done. And I know the same was probably said about infinity war, but this is essentially, I guess, almost the true end to the infinity saga if you're not counting spider-man far from home but i felt it was a nice send-off for all the main cast and crew that started off the marvel cinematic universe and it ended it in perfect way i believe for for at least the movie versions of these characters it had everything from emotional scenes to great epic battles the one at the very end where you just have all those superheroes from the MCU on screen simultaneously at the same time, just battling out Thanos and his minions, I thought was just so grandiose and so fucking spectacular. And 
it's something that I'll remember for for decades because this is something I've always wanted to see on screen ever since I was a kid, you know, and watched all the cartoons growing up and read some of the, the comic book stories. So I just felt like it just had to make my list because of such impact that it had for me personally and the fact that it was just completely well made. So, um, yeah, I don't know if Nabil agrees 100% with me on that, but it obviously he made it on his list. So what do you have to say, Nabil? <laughs> no, I I agree completely. It's it you know, I put it at number 10 because there there are just so many great films that came out this year, but I wanted to include it in my list because it is it was such a, a grandiose and epic film that they put together and you still felt for each of the main characters, you still connected with them to the end. There wasn't like some cheesy send-off for just one character or another. It it all uh, just like you had feelings for Infinity for War and how that ended, and then going into this movie and seeing the repercussions of that ending, you you wanted to see how this played out up until the very end. And I mean, the visuals were amazing. The 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 plot itself was was strong. You know, it, it got you to where it needed to go. It it made sense at least for a comic book film, uh, and it it's definitely gives me hope and to see what they're going to be doing in the next phase. But I thought it was a great way to to end, you know, 10 years of, of superhero filmmaking. What about you, James? Uh, yeah, it hit honorable mention. I think just because of everything you guys said, pretty much that, I mean, there's, it's hard not to include that on the list. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, emotional wise, I think there was, it's not a perfect film. So it's one of those movies that you still need to have seen, a, you know, quite a few films before to get the emotional response out of it. So I don't think uh, for like a top 10 list, I, myself, I try to do it a little, anything anyone could approach. And right. I think this would be the movie that you definitely have to do a little bit of legwork beforehand to get into. Um, I mean, overall, satisfying ending. It shows you that the power of Disney, you know, the fact that they were able to do, do all these films leading up to it and connect them all. So it's it's kind of saddens me that they do so well with this and then other properties uh, <laughs> not so well. I, that's all what I'll I'll leave it at that. So and with that, guys, my number seven is Pokemon Detective Pikachu. So there I was. I woke up with a heavy case of amnesia in the middle of nowhere. The only clue to my past is Harry's name and address inside this hat. So I made my way to the apartment, and that's when I found you and your stapler gun. Stop talking! You're a hallucination! You're a hallucination. So you're a talking Pikachu with no memories who's addicted to caffeine. I could stop whenever I want. These are just choices. Another round, extra shot, black as night. Thank you, sweetie. So this was also Marco's number nine here, guys. Um, we, I mean, once again, we did a podcast on this one as well. And uh, this movie surprised me quite a bit when I first heard that they were doing the adaptation of the Detective Pikachu uh, Nintendo 3DS game. I, I thought it was a kind of a questionable move because it was a specific kind of game where the you know Pikachu itself is talking. But as a lifelong Pokemon fan, ever since I was in fourth or fifth grade and playing every single game, this is basically if I had told my 10 year old self that this was coming out, it would have like blown my fucking mind back then. <laughs> like back in 98, 99, I would have been like, no way. They're like, yeah, dude, it's just live action too. I like, I used to like picture things like this and Ryan Reynolds is the voice of detective Pikachu right off the bat is it was questionable at first too. one of those things you hear about and you're like, that doesn't make any fucking sense. And then when you watch the film, it's just like, no, this makes sense. It just works. It's just Pikachu itself is a lovable creature. I think a lot of people got a little thrown up with uh, baby Yoda in the last month or two, but it's like, man, P- 
Pik- uh, Detective Pikachu was just all there, man. Drinking his coffee. Uh, Justice Smith did a really good job, too. He's playing Tim in the movie. He's a uh, emotional character. He has a lot more depth to him than you think. Uh, he has a... It's The whole movie is really a... It's a story about a father and a son mixed with Pokemon, in a way. If that sounds strange, it's this is the movie for you. And I liked it. There's so much little things that go on. The Pokemon... Uh, the action sequences. It's not a perfect movie by far, but it is the only film I saw in theaters more than once last year. So that should say something. Uh, what about you, Marco? I agree with everything you said about the the movie, about the acting, the story, the action sequences, the uh, cinematography, CGI, everything. 100%. This was a splendid surprise for me because I came in watching this movie not a Pokemon fan at yeah. all. Like I never played any of the games. I never collected any of the cards, never really got into playing it. So I sort of begrudgingly agreed to go see this movie and I came out instantly loving it. I thought it was very well made. It broke the video game movie curse finally and yeah. was actually yeah, yeah really it's certified fresh in Rotten Tomatoes. Not that I trust those guys 100%, but... I felt that that was a a feat, a very important feat that it accomplished. Um, I I was a little bit more interested into the world of Pokemon as well too. Did a little bit more reading about it because the movie actually piqued my interest. And like James said, it's really deeper than what it seems out in at, at first. The whole story with uh, Justice Smith and him, you know, wanting to know what happened to his father and everything I thought was very touching and very well fitting for the story. Obviously, Ryan Reynolds killed it as Detective Pikachu. <laughs> every every time that he was on screen, or at least that his voice was on screen, I thought was just like hilarious. And of course, my personal favorite, Psyduck. How yeah. can you not love Psyduck? <laughs> His freaking eyes were bonkers. He was bonkers. And it just made the movie for me. So overall, I just definitely wanted to put it on my list because of the fact that it convinced me to enjoy a property that I had never shown any interest for. And I loved it for that. All right. And so we're now going into my number six film, The Irishman. (laughs) Frank? I want you to meet my cousin, Russell Buffalino. Better watch. There's a lot of tough guys around here. Did he tell you? You're not afraid of tough guys, are you? I didn't think so. I was one of a thousand working stiffs until I wasn't no more. You got a good friend here. You don't know how good a friend you got. Russell, he took a shine to me right away. After a while, he started giving me little things to do. I know you read a lot of things about me. I just want to say I'm sorry. I know I wasn't a good dad. I know that. I know that. I was just trying to protect all of you. And this is also James's honorable mention. And when we first watched the film, I wasn't sure how I felt about the movie. I enjoyed it, but I didn't know if I if I liked it, which I know doesn't really make sense, but it, it was really in my head for a while. And then I started talking with the guys and we talked about it a little bit on the pod and I started really sitting on it and realizing I liked the film a lot more than 
I thought I did at the time of viewing it. And that's mostly because the film is three hours long. It's ridiculous to sit through, as especially since we kind of basically watched it straight through to get all this up processing. It's It could easily be a part one, part two, and you'll see how the first film is set up and it's more in the guise of, uh, of a mob film and you're, you're really involved with the Scorsese signature traits of his past films. But you go into the second part of the film and it's it does start to change tone and it's a different story focused on Jimmy Hoffa and there's a different relationship there with Robert De Niro's character. Uh, and it it just shows on, on the small intricacy of, of playing up the Pacino, De Niro, Pesci's acting style and, and Scorsese's directing style and, and putting them all together and how well they were able to 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 piece together a film that's supposed to span over what 30 40 years um, and a different you know phases of each other's life um, and where they were it just as I think about it more and I sit with how they how they made this film come together I really think it was a really good mastercraft in, in filmmaking and I, I really did enjoy it a lot more than um, after sitting with it a little bit what about you, James? I know you have this as your uh, honorable mention. What was uh, your thoughts on it? Oh uh, yeah, I just wanted to shit on Endgame, so I did a Scorsese movie as an honorable mention. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it, really. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it's Scorsese, guys. Come on, like this movie's great. Fantastic performances. Joe Pesci, Robert uh, Downey Jr. is not in this movie, but it's Robert <laughs> De Niro. Rob, Robert De Niro, sir. Robert De Niro. Um, I think a lot of people have been passing over the fact that al pacino does a really good fucking jimmy hoffa he really does yeah fantastic performances there's there's even like i said it's a long film but i think as a whole story it's it's really well done it's one of uh, scorsese's better films in the last couple years too and um i enjoyed it it was one of those things where it's just maybe because of the length of it and i think because of our lukewarm initial reaction to it yeah. Um, that's why, I mean, that's why it's definitely in a, I think everybody should watch the Irishman. So if you have not seen it yet, you know, get on your Netflix, watch that movie right now. Uh, highly recommend just watching it through. Don't, don't take, I mean, take a little break in between, but don't I'll watch half today, half tomorrow. Just watch it all through, devote some mm-hmm. time. And I think you get a better appreciation for it too. Overall solid film. And it just it didn't quite hit the 10. Cause I just, like, it's like, we've all talked about a couple it's, I go for more like also what kind of moves me as a person or gives me emotional feelings. And this one did, you know, remind me more of like a good fellow's vibe, which is not bad at all. It's just one of those things, but it, yeah, it still did get an honorable mention for me though. Awesome. Solid pick guys. So now on to my number six, which is Dolmite is my name. Hey, you know, auntie, I was thinking about putting out a comedy record. Comedy? You've been a singer, a shake dancer. It's real hard to break in. I do whatever it takes to get in. I come up with a new character. Dolomite is my name, and fucking up motherfuckers is my game. So this movie just made it to my list. Last minute, I text James, and I was like, hey, man, I got to switch one of my picks. And this movie had to make it on there. I just recently seen it on Netflix, and it stars Eddie Murphy, who plays Rudy Ray Moore, also known as the character Dolmite. For those of you who are unaware or who haven't looked at the trailer and the movie was fantastic. It was actually a recommendation before it was a Golden Globe nominee by uh, one of our co-workers that James and I knows, Sammy. And um, he was going on and on about how great the movie was and 
finally went around to watching it and was pleasantly impressed. I thought that Eddie Murphy just nailed it as a character of Dolmite. He was just a, I guess not necessarily a mirror, a mirror image, but he caught, he captured the essence of Rudy Ray Moore in my opinion. For those of you who don't know the story, Rudy Ray Moore basically is washed up and he's in his late 40s, I believe, and he's still trying to make it. Everyone's telling him no, that he's not funny, that his material, whether it be music or stand-up comedy, is just outdated. And finally, he creates a character by the name of Dolmite in a really weird fashion by listening to some hobos talk about some crazy stories and through these conversations decides to create this character and try to take it to stardom. And he succeeds, apparently. He is a pioneer, apparently, in the rap community, which I did not know. A lot of the way that he says his rhymes and his cadence was inspirational to early rap music, which I thought was really interesting. And something I never would have known had I not watched the movie, so I thought that was really cool. But most importantly, Eddie Murphy also dedicated the movie to his late brother, Charlie Murphy, which I thought was very touching you know, to me. Uh, especially if you're big on family. The performances from the actors, from Keegan-Michael Key to Mike Epps to Craig Robinson, I think was just awesome. All the characters just kind of flowed well together. They had great chemistry. And of course, my personal favorite was Wesley Snipes. He was just incredibly funny. And I think that he stole the show whenever he was on screen because he's just ridiculous as his character. So this movie was very touching specifically because of the story of just trying to make your dreams come true and getting doors slammed in your face all the time. I'm pretty sure that this is something that could reach, you know, any audience. If you've ever had any type of talent or any type of dream that you wanted to show people and everyone kept telling you no, this is a very inspirational movie to tell you to, you know, go out there and so long as you're you're doing right by yourself that you can make it or you can at least be proud of your work, which I think is a very uh, solid message. So yeah, really enjoyed this one. All right. Um, (laughs) I don't want to really say much more about it, but it it is, I agree with you. It is a fun film, but let's move on to my number five pick marriage story. What I love about Nicole. She is a mother who plays really plays. What I love about Charlie, he loves being a dad. He loves all the things you're supposed to hate, like waking up at night. She knows when to push me and when to leave me alone. He never lets other people keep him from what he wants to do. Dad, you're too far. I know. It's not easy for her to close a cabinet. He's incredibly neat. She's brave. He's brilliant. He's very very competitive. I'll tell Charlie what's happening, and Cassie, you then hand him the envelope. I just get nervous. Can you unserve? What do you mean, like take it back? Charlie and I are getting a divorce, Mom. You can't be friends with him anymore. Gina! Charlie Bird! (laughs) Mom! 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 What? So it looks like I'm the only one that uh, actually put this on his list, and... uh, I'm not surprised. It's it's a very difficult film to watch sometimes. Um, yeah. Um, so James has this thing where he says basically he watches a movie and finds out that this is whether or not it's a Nabil movie, and this was very much a Nabil movie. I uh, didn't. I mean, sorry. I don't mean to cut you off. I did not think this would be a Nabil movie, by the way. Really? No, those are it, usually the political thrillers, British dramas, and this is neither. So 
Yeah. Well, it's a very heavy on dialogue film. And that's kind of what I really liked about it is that you get to see the narrative between uh, Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson. Their acting in this film was really well. I, I liked Adam Driver a lot more in this film overall. You started hating him. I, for me, it was like I didn't like him at the beginning, um, but I kind of started liking him a lot more at the end where Scarlett Johansson, I started feeling for her and started hating her at the end. Um, and really, it was just a performances for me. Adam Driver was, he really sold it, especially near one of uh, a monologue he had at the very end of the movie that really drove it for me. It's my uh, Captain Phillips moment for me, where I could see the emotion which, in his in his eyes. And his which monologue are you talking about, Nabu? It's where he, him and uh, Scarlett Johansson are going at it and talking oh, the about argument, trying to hash out the, yeah, the argument. I, I thought you were about to say the when he's doing the freestyle song, I'm going to be like... No. <laughs> please no, Nabil. Please no. No. Um, but yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a, a very interesting subject matter. Uh, they showed blame on both sides. And uh, there was... You could tell that there was... it was Divorce is not easy. It's a complicated thing. Marriage is also not an easy thing to deal with. But sometimes you've, you've got to find out what's best for both of you. And it's not always going to be perfect. Uh, and I thought that this portrayed it really well, and I just hope I never have to go through any of that. Yeah, um, it's this is a gr- good film. It's not on my list. It's just I can't put movies on here, I think, that I would never watch again. Because Marriage Story, I don't know what happened to director Noah Baumbach as a kid, but even a lot of his <laughs> movies deal with divorce a lot. They like do. Squid and the Whale, which was, uh, I saw that in high school, and I think that was one of the most depressing movies I'd ever seen up until my like young life. Even like Greenberg, while we're young, all this shit, man. I'm like, man, I mean, smile once in a while, bro. But <laughs> it's one of those things where I, it's a great film. It has a lot of good moments in it. But I just I just never want to get married now. So <laughs> I don't have that kind of money, man. <laughs> Jesus Christ, the divorce and you have a kid. I was like, whew. I mean, truthfully, like we talked about, they should have called this movie Divorce Story. Because, I mean, yeah, it's about a divorce well, so divorce rates are up in the U.S. You know, I mean, they've always been up. So I mean, this is just part of the norm, I guess. And I, I like, I, I wrote a review on this too. I between the two, it's hard to decide who who's right and wrong because they both, right. like you said, Nabil, I, I totally understand what you mean by that. Where they both are kind of at fault. It, uh, uh, Adam Driver's character is very selfish, and then it's kind of all about him for the longest time with his stage plays and such. And then with Scarlett Johansson, she wants to kind of make something out of herself, which I totally understand too. And it's in a, in a traditional Noah Baumbach um, way, they make it says like, man, these two should have probably never gotten together. So, I mean, yeah, and it just makes me depressed. So that's why I didn't make my list. But I mean, other than that, I highly recommend checking it out. Solid movie. It ends on a pretty, you know what? No, I had to read this stuff. Yeah. It's a somber ending, but, I had talked to Yasmin about this, by the way, who was on her pod before. I almost feel like they'd get back together, give them a little more time at the end. I kind of felt that way too. Yeah, exactly. So that's why I was like, mm, didn't end like I thought it was going to end. But one of those movies where Adam Driver definitely, I think a lot of people just mix him up with just a Kylo Ren kind of vibe all the time. But you got to <laughs> you gotta remember, this guy's a solid actor too. Yeah, him and Scarlett really Johansson. Yeah, him and Scarlett Johansson are excellent in this movie. So... So, on to my number five, which is a little bit more on the upside. Yeah, definitely. John Wick, Chapter 3, Parabellum. You have no idea what's coming. 
Mr. Witt broke the rules. I trust you understand the repercussions if he survives. John Wick, excommunicado, is now in effect. You shouldn't be here. Nice suit. Good to see you too. Of course I had to include a movie that's just chock full of grotesque action because I tend to like those freaking movies. See our Rambo Marathon podcast episode and you will know that this is true. But uh, I got late into the game with the John Wick series and I caught up pretty fast. I mean, it's not many movies in the series right now, but I caught up just in time to watch Parabellum in theaters. And man, this movie just defines true action and i love it for that it, and, and it, talk about a movie that made for like 2c in theaters yeah, yeah. It, it's just visually striking the stunts the coordination it, it just all flows so well and it's so fast-paced it, it feels like there's there's barely any breathing room in the movie but in a good way where it's just adrenaline pumping all the time and, and john wick is always trying to escape one situation to the next and just when you think things have calmed down something else happens and it 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 does a great job at at keeping you entertained the addition of Halle Berry into this movie I thought was great I think the whole scene with uh her and Keanu Reeves John Wick escaping her place I believe and she's got the two dogs with her and she's commanding them to kill the bad guys also doing martial arts. I think that was a really good blend and something I'd never really seen before in an action sequence. Halle Berry actually learned how to like train or trained with these dogs to Tactical learn how to command too, them. Yeah. And I thought that was really awesome. She also broke six ribs filming this movie. And I thought that was pretty Jeez. freaking hardcore. Keanu Reeves said that she was just as dedicated as he was for this movie. And it definitely shows they made a great, really good pair on screen. I think it had a really good solid ending as well, too. Obviously, they're going to leave it open for, you know, a continuation to the series. Yeah. But I think this is a series that just keeps getting better as it progresses. Like you watch the first John Wick movie, and you're like, I don't know how they can top that. You watch the second one. I don't know how they can top that. And you watch this one. And you're like, man, you guys got to stop right here because this is a fucking masterpiece. Uh, I, the, the whole ending and how it was kind of influenced by like, uh, one of Bruce Lee's movies also was pretty freaking epic. And I think it was just perfect for just watching in theaters. I mean, you could probably get the same experience at home, but like James said, this is definitely a series that you want to try to catch the next one in the movie theater because it's just that much more impactful. Yeah, definitely. This was on my top, like on my initial list too, Marco. Uh, but it's just one of those things where just so many good movies and I, I didn't want too many action flicks cause I already had like Pokemon already had Avengers on that thing. So, right. But no, this is, this is, I think out of all three films too, this is, the, uh, they only get better. So I totally agree. Absolutely. All right, guys, let me move on now to my number five, which is the peanut butter Falcon. Come to my wrestling school and become a badass. That's what he wants to do with the rest of his life. Yes, it is. You let a half-naked boy with Down syndrome who has no idea how to get along in this world just slip out from under your nose. You two 
you. We're close. We are. Well, then you'll figure out where he's at and you'll bring him back. Are you following me? Maybe we could be friends and buddies, bro dogs, and chill. Have a good time. So the wrestling school is made? Yes. One long road leads all the way down. I'll drop you there then. I'm looking for a missing person. Have you seen him? A little man on a lamb. Make your girlfriend back there, Eleanor. Two bandits on the run. Oh, yeah! Rule number one, don't slow me down. Rule number two, I'm in charge. Hey, what's rule number one? Party. No, not party. So this movie, uh, it's one of those movies, like I said, I, I added these movies in because it's like a, I, I like, the, I enjoy the story. I like the emotional, the way it kind of makes me feel and such. But this one is fantastic. And I know I talked about this one before as well. I saw this one with um, Jill, actually, who's been on two of our podcasts at this point. And the this is kind of Shia LaBeouf kind of coming back into a, it's an indie film, but it's a, it's a, movie about friendship and i really like that because he befriends a young a handicapped guy named zach and it's it's played by a guy named zach gotsigan and he's like i don't know if you guys have ever seen interviews with this guy but he's literally like the nicest guy in the world mm-hmm. and it's so cool that like him and shia labeouf actually really bonded and you can tell throughout the movie they're basically trying to get to this because uh, Shia LaBeouf's character is on the run, and Zach is trying to get to a wrestling school, which is down in Florida, and he escapes his home, and it's fucking bizarre as hell. But it's about kind of realizing that just because Zach is uh, mentally handicapped doesn't mean that he can't be treated like a normal person. And I think Shia LaBeouf's character of Tyler really gets that message across fairly early on too which i appreciated it wasn't like one of those movies where it's like oh he's gonna learn a valuable lesson it's like no like it shows you that sometimes characters don't need to have like a emotional journey it's just more of a journey of himself kind of realizing that because he in the movie he loses his own brother and then in this case he befriends zach and they become like brothers by the end of the film um fantastic it's got a lot of funny moments it's very much a dramedy i think and it works for the most part for this film and I think, I mean, if you guys haven't seen it on top of that, too, it's 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 got some really random like cameos, too. So I won't say much more, but I mean, I don't know where we got like Bruce Dern in like the uh, old person's home because that's where Zach's staying at and shit. It's just so random. But um, they never once make it like, hey, feel feel sad for Zach and shit. You know, it's a movie where it's like this guy's just as normal as Tyler Shia LaBeouf's character. And, and I really appreciate that. So right on. good stuff. All right, on to my number four, the movie Us. That's a classic right there. What does I got five on it mean? It's about drugs. It's not about drugs, it's a dope song. Don't do drugs. Get in rhythm. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Can't believe how big Dave got. Did you hear Gabe got a boat? <laughs> He's kidding, right? He's not kidding. Hey, I think it's vodka clock. Oh, yeah. Where's Jason? All right, and this one also happens to be Nabil's number seven, so he'll get to chime in on this one. Us was without... I mean, I think everyone knows Us was just incredible and had just had to make it onto my list. 
even as a as a horror film i feel like it's it's layered so well and for me it exceeded all expectations like i was already really excited because it was jordan peele's second movie and he blew me away with get out and he doubles down on this one and he goes a lot deeper this movie is so filled with dualities and with just so many different meanings to a point to to really like look into ourselves and kind of makes you you know question you know are are you your own like worst enemy sometimes and i, I kind of like that sort of like mind fuck that he gives you throughout the entire movie it's not necessarily like scary per se but it it definitely is more like a like a suspenseful thriller but those types of movies tend to really like tug at my strings and freak me out the most because I'm just sitting there just kind of thinking about it the most. Lupita Nyong'o's performance was incredible. I think she did a great job both as her regular character and as her doppelganger Red. They're just two completely different characters played by the same person. And when they're on screen, you literally can like distinguish both of them as, as two different people. And it's just... It just shows like showcases her talent, which I think was great. Winston Duke, I thought was incredible also as Abraham. I thought that he was a great comedic relief and kind of relieved some of the tension from the movie. It was good to see him kind of take on more of a prominent role, which is really awesome. The kids, you know how I am with child actors. I, I don't really like him that much. And I felt like the kids were actually really good and beneficial to the, to the movie and didn't take anything away. Their performances were really well, well, well done too even with their doppelgangers as well. I just think that Jordan Peele did a great job at directing them and really showcasing their true talents. The, the movie really leaves you unsettling at the end too, because you're kind of questioning about some of the characters and who they really are. And those types of movies are the ones that, you know, end up making it on my list that really kind of showcase that type of talent from a director. I don't know if Nabil will agree or not, but it's on his list. So what do you got to say Nabil? Yeah, I mean, I echo a lot of what you've already said, uh, Marco. I, I will add too that it, he does a really Jordan Peele does a really good job in this film of easing the tension. He'll he'll start you off kind of settled in, just like a lot of horror films do, but in, in a different way where you really feel part of the family um, on their little trip that they're taking. Um, the music is a very good integral part and a good mix inside, and that music tone even using the same song, changes throughout the film. Um, things get serious. They break things down a little bit with a, some some funny thing that happens or some funny comment um, while still in the midst of danger. And I kind of like that tense but uh, sense of ease that you get uh, during during the film, especially where you could... He does a really good job with like building a lot of stress going through it and you're not no, not really sure what's going to happen next. And I think that's what really I, I enjoyed about it is that there are a lot of films that we did see um, this year that really made me feel so tense and so cringeworthy. Like, I don't know if I want to, you know, when am I going to get some kind of ease off of this? And this film found a way to, to just hype me up and also bring me, you know, mellow me out for a little bit. And I, it's a really uh, master of his craft in a sense of for Jordan Peele, especially coming off of Get Out. I still think Get Out was a, a better film. Um but us was was really well uh, put together for our film as well for this year. So on to my number three, Knives Out. 
I'm Detective Lieutenant Elliot, and this is Trooper Wagner. We just want to ask a few questions. We understand the night of his demise, the family had gathered to celebrate your father's 85th birthday. How was it, by the way? The party? Pre my dad's death? Oh, it was great. All right, so this movie is also Nabil's number four and James's number eight. So this is a recent one that we did not too long ago on our podcast. And you guys go back and listen to this one, so I'll, to that one, and I'll be very brief about what I thought about it here. It definitely is, I guess, to a point, redeems Ryan Johnson for some people because of how they felt with The Last Jedi. And I, for one, didn't think he needed much redemption, but... I really love this movie. I thought that it was original, that it really did a great job at subverting expectations and was a, a very enjoyable modern whodunit. Like, it really does leave you guessing at every turn and every time you think that you've figured out what's happened in the movie, even when they do certain reveals that you tend to question and say, huh, that's really weird that you guys kind of, you know, solved the riddle for me right there. It still leaves you guessing even after that. And I think that that's really incredible with this type of movie. Obviously, the the all-star cast, I think, did a great job. They did an excellent job at kind of feeding off of each other and having that chemistry that keeps the movie entertaining. Daniel Craig was hilarious with his droll accent. I know I mentioned this in the last podcast. Uh, Chris Evans was also great at playing a douchebag. Uh, Anna de Almas was also incredible in this movie. It was nice to see her in a more prominent role. I think the movie just was satisfying all the way through and through. And it's one that I would definitely watch over and over again. So I don't know if you would agree with this or not, James, what did you think of the movie? Yeah, it's a solid movie. It's my number eight. And this really reminded me, I, I like uh, films like this where it's a mystery. It very much reminded me of 1985's clue, which I think is one of my favorite movies growing up too. And probably one of my all time favorite films too. Uh, stellar cast funny it's got a mix of kind of like keeping you on your toes too you think you know what's going on but then you don't so it's just one of those movies that i think really well written ryan johnson did a really good job with that too so and they've just announced a sequel too so it's going to be even more benoit blanc in the future so uh what did you think Bill? since yeah, yeah. i know you you got it rated at four I did have it on my four, and and for the same reasons, I thought it was just a very smart mystery. I, I didn't see the twist at the very end, although I don't see a lot of twists in a lot of films. That is correct. Um, what a twist. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this one was actually put together pretty well, um, and you... you he gave Ryan Johnson did a good job of making you still continue to guess, even though you thought you had everything figured out, um, and at least for me, and so I, I really like that story of it and not really sure who was bad, who was good and for what reason. So uh, it, it was just a really good movie overall. And so I, I don't think there's any more to say about it. And so we're going to move on to my number two pick for Little Women. I'm working on a novel. It is a story of my life and my sisters. Make it short and spicy. And if the main character is a girl, make sure she's married by the end. Ow, Joe! I want to be an artist in Rome and be the best painter in the world. That's what you want too, isn't it, Joe? To be a famous writer. Yes, but it sounds so crass when she says it. 
My girls have a way of getting into mischief. Well, so do I. This is Meg, Amy, Beth, and Joe. I intend to make my own way in the world. No one makes their own way. Least of all a woman. You'll need to marry well. You are not married, aren't you? Well, that's because I'm rich. And that's actually also James's number four pick. Um, and there are, I, I think this, this is the fourth iteration of this film. Um, and the one that I remember more fondly is the uh, Winona Ryder and Susan Sarandon film out back in uh, 94. Uh, and I think this is actually a better film than that. Uh, I didn't think that they could do any better than that film, but the way they tell the story, they put it in different pieces. You get a lot more time with uh, the different characters than you did in the book. Um, I think the the way they kind of did the flashbacks was what's much more interesting. It was a very fun film. You felt invested with each character and and got to spend a lot more time with them. I, I think than you you did in a lot of the previous iterations of the films. Um, I just. If you don't know the story of Little Women, you know, a lot of people have to read it in school, in high school or middle school, um, and there are plenty of versions of the film out. It's 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 a very simple uh, premise about just four girls uh, growing up in a household and growing up. And I thought that this was just a really good way of, of portraying it. I think Shirsha Ronan and uh, Florence Pugh especially were like big standouts in this film. They did a really good job with their characters of Joe and I think uh, uh, Amy is the other one. Or, I'm sorry, Beth. Yeah. So... Uh, I thought that that was all just, they did such a good job. Everybody had good chemistry. Timothy Chalamet was awesome in this film. It's just a very good, especially holiday film. Um, what about you, James? What did you think about it? Yeah, I love this movie. This is the movie that actually knocked out. Uh, I, I mentioned earlier that I actually did have, uh, what movie was it? Um, one of the action films. Well, Ready or Not, whoever was on there. But when I saw Little Women, I was like, well, this got to make the fucking list. Uh, I think director Greta Gerwig is fantastic. I really liked Lady Bird when it came out two years ago. Yeah. A fantastic movie. I think she works so well with Saoirse Ronan as Joe Marsh. And Saoirse Ronan, I got to say, it was hands down fantastic as Joe Marsh in this movie. And Emma Watson, I mean, it's just the cast too. Florence Pug, which, you know, which we saw in Midsummer, And then she's about to be in the Black Widow movie. She's fantastic. Here is Amy. Um, I finally understand why Jill loves Timothy Chalamet so fucking much now. Yeah. God, he's so handsome. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> he really is, though. And he did great. <sighs> was into him. Bro, when yeah. he did the Zan scene, why was I like, dance with me, Timothy? <laughs> it's just one of those movies where it's, it's got such memorable scenes. The cinematography in this movie is fantastic. Shot of them uh, when Beth is not feeling too damn good and... Joe returns and they're on the beach. I think is one of the best shots I've seen all year of any kind of cinematography. Yeah. It's just one of those movies. And it's, it's got an uplifting story. It's a, you know, it's very empowering. I think for women, especially it's, it's always been that kind of a, of a story in general that, Hey, everybody takes different paths in life. It doesn't mean that you're in the wrong or the right. It just depends on what you do. I thought the love triangle between Joe, Amy and Lori was, uh, it's one of those ones that makes you think like, man, I wonder what could have happened. And, it's kind of heartbreaking, but you understand why, you know, because truthfully, you can't just because we want a character to fall in love with each other and have a happy ending. It doesn't always mean it's going to happen. And I really enjoyed that. And like I said, Greta Gerwig been one of my favorite directors uh, coming up on here, too. I know she's doing the Barbie movie next. So let's see how that goes. Oh, oh man. I, well, I agree with everything you guys said. Movie was incredible. I loved it, too. Obviously, 
I tweeted about it. That's how much I like this movie. And I rarely tweet about movies these days. So it obviously had a huge impact on me. Only reason it didn't make it on my list was because honestly, when I was ranking it, I forgot to write it down or it got erased and it was too late to change my list. But uh, it's on these guys' list. <laughs> it's an incredible movie. Source Ronin just nailed it. Emma Watson was great. Florence Pug was great. Eliza Scanlon was great. And yeah, I agree. Yeah, I thought uh, that's what Greta Gerwig is an incredible director. So, yeah. All right, guys. So uh, let's move on to uh, my number two. Uh, and also Marco's number two. Uh, we got a, a double here, which is Joker. I have some bad news for you. <laughs> this is the last time we'll be meeting. You don't listen, do you? You just ask the same questions every week. How's your job? Are you having any negative thoughts? All I have are negative thoughts. So Joker, right off the bat, I think is a movie. I've I've been excited for Joker since I had even heard about it when I found out that, um, like Scorsese was. Uh, putting money into it, producing it. Uh, Todd Phillips was on board to direct. And when they cast Joaquin Phoenix, I just, I had a really good feeling on this film and it did not disappoint. It's one of those films that was, it's very edgy. It's one of those things where it's a character. You're going into the, a, a story of the Joker. It's not, I mean, there's so many iterations of the Joker that I think, you know, that there's no, it's a comic book, you know, so there's not an actual, this is the origin story, much like Batman has various ones as well nowadays. But I think this is a very well done story about how society has turned on someone. And I know there was a lot of controversy with this film leading into it. And some people saw it as very kind of empowering for like a white guy that doesn't think the world's going right. And he takes it into his own hand. But I, I didn't feel like that was the case um, when watching this film. Uh, this is one of the ones that Mark and I did. Uh, without you, actually, well, now I think about it, we did do the Joker, by the way. And I want to say that's the the podcast was just you and I were on that one. Yeah, it was just Possibly. a duo right maybe, there. Maybe Mikey was on that one, too. We held the fork down. I think Mikey was a guest on that one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I loved it. I liked how it, it made me feel, like I had said on the pod previously, it made me feel uncomfortable, especially um, we roll up to the theater. We saw a special 70-millimeter version of it at the Alamo Draft House, and there was just cops everywhere. Because of all these uh, media outlets reporting on, like, oh, there's going to be a shooting, and I was like, fuck, you know. Yeah. And it, it kind of added, it kind of added to it though. I'm not gonna lie, it made me like, fuck, man, please don't do anything crazy, people. <laughs> I saw Marco put a mask on him halfway through the movie. I was like, oh shit, here we go. Fuck, gotta be prepared, man. You know. <laughs> he looked over at me, said, smile, and I was like, oh fuck, not again. <laughs> I told him, knock, knock. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! Uh, no, I'm just kidding. But I mean, I loved it. I think Joaquin Phoenix is gonna get an Oscar for this one too. Um, I'm calling it right now. Uh, but I've been wrong before, so especially last year. So I can't really call it. <laughs> oh, so oh, what don't, get, don't start. Well, with I mean, me being no wrong. one was as wrong as Marco. But what do you think? What did you think about Joker, Marco? I agree 100 with everything you just said. I actually the only thing i that's different is that i was not excited for this movie i even mentioned I it in the pod. It. that's why i brought it up <laughs> sort of like, i rolled my eyes and i was like god oh, really i'm like how many fucking jokers are we gonna have let's just let's, come on let's just stick to one plan marco was like juggalo joker is my joker <laughs> 
the damaged tattoo, man. It and then he it put his, the hand tattoo up to his face. And I was like, when did you get that done? Uh, he <laughs> had me when he said, you hunka hunka. But um, I like that part. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. But, you know, this movie blew my expectations. It was incredible, just as James said. It was filmed fantastic. It was a nice character piece. Um, I think it was meant to make us feel disturbed if you related a little too much with this character or if you idolize him. I think there's probably something wrong with you, and that's just my opinion. But it wasn't meant to put this character in a pedestal. It was meant to be uncomfortable because at the end of the day, this is a portrayal of the Joker who is a maniac and nuts, you know, a senseless murderer. So with that in mind, I mean, it it was supposed to just kind of put you into the mind of how such a person or a version of this person could emerge in our, you know, in our type of society. And I, I liked that. I liked to, to, the, the more realism of it. I even said on the podcast how it felt like it was even more real than what Chris Nolan's universe brought, which is probably the closest thing to a real-life version of these characters that we could have. But this one definitely upped the ante on that. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix, to, to read up on everything he did to prepare for this role, uh, he lost an incredible amount of weight. I don't recommend that anybody do this, but apparently the guy only ate an apple a day in order to reach the the weight that he wanted to be for this movie. He just really immerses himself in his characters, and he definitely did this version of the Joker justice, and it's definitely one of the main reasons why it's my number two. All right, now we're going into the the top of the top here for all of us, and we've all got our own special number ones. Uh, my number one pick was Parasite. Yo, which Ajumara IP time? I'm going to call you. Why Pago? Gungi go. Oh, you're going to. So that's enough. Why Pago? Credit to Tulme, Teme, Pumoni, or Gulu, Chutra, Konga, Dirashi. You got it off, Shot. Kyopchi. You got the decision. You're quite so same joy, Jura. That's actually also James's number three pick. This is a Korean uh, foreign film that uh, I had been putting off watching for a long time because I didn't know what to expect. Um, And James had told me that it's an excellent film that he thought it was one of the best films he's ever seen. And yeah, after watching it, I agree. I'd say I maybe even say it's close to being one of the best films that I've seen this decade. It's it's such a good film. I mean, you if you talk about a masterclass in filmmaking, um, this this is the prime example of it. They've got great shots. He, they've got great acting. The story is is different. It's a unique story that you don't really know where it's going. Um, there's there's even a montage that they managed to make work very well, which you don't really get to see that very often. Um, the the whole premise of the film being set in Korea and then this this kind of um, I don't want to say too much about it, but it's just this poor family trying to, to make ends meet and they find a way to do it all together. Not something I've ever seen before. Very original film. And uh, there's so many good things I, I want to say about the film. And I feel like we could even give it a, a whole review on its own. But it's it's just so many things that work so perfectly in here with from from music to the shots to the dialogue. And then it's all subtitled and you can read it and still feel a part of it um, to the weird t- plot twists that go on. And then just the ranges of emotion that you're feeling throughout the film, such a, such a 
wonderful film. I couldn't I couldn't say anything else was was better than what I've seen for this year. James, what what were your thoughts on this movie? Oh yeah, I'm first off, I am super glad that you saw this one because I know you had told me that all the showings around you were being sold out recently. So yeah, um, this movie is fantastic. At, at times, it was my number one film. So I mean, I, I want to say that my top three could damn near just be about something where you could any depending on the day when I wake up, it could be totally different. I think, but I want to say that director Bong Joon Ho is fantastic in this movie. Some of the best cinematography I've ever seen. I don't know if you've seen Snowpiercer or Okja, but I mean, yeah. I've talked about him before. And did, from going from those films that have, you know, good films, I've always talked highly of them. And then to this, though, it's like, holy crap, you know, I love the dynamic of the family in this movie. They do so much. And you do see that, although they are, you know, the movie's called Parasites, about a family infiltrating another family, basically. They're pretending yeah. to be other people. And they have... You know, they in turn, it's so funny that there's just there's so many callbacks to things. It's like, oh, they're surrounded by bugs in the beginning. And yet they're the ones that are like talking about letting the vermin out. It's like, are they talking about themselves? Mm -hmm. And you feel from the because deep down inside, they all love each other. It's just that they're in such a shitty like situation. It's also a movie about class and about how, you know, at one point there's a typhoon and it knocks out everybody and everybody's there's a flood and they're all like sleeping in like a gigantic gym while the rich family is just like, doesn't even fucking know what happened the night before. And you're coming off like Kim, who is the son that starts this whole thing up. It's just like, he went through like hell to get there. And it's like insane. I want to say too, that even the movie, it has so many themes to it too. There's a, there's a moment where the old nanny comes back. I, I think, you know what I'm talking about Nabil. Yep. And I didn't know what was going on. I was like, what the <laughs> fuck? Did this turn to a horror story now? Like and suddenly was, you didn't even expect it. Out of nowhere, I'm like, why is this bitch back, dude? And she's just knocking on the door like two o'clock in the morning. I'm like, this is hella creepy. And when she's trying to push back a fucking thing to get to the basement, I'm like, what in the fuck is going on? Yep. And it's just one of those movies that it plays on your emotions, too. I, especially at the end. I like the scene where the son is talking about what he wants to do, right? Mm -hmm. And it's so sad because in a normal Hollywood movie, this would be like, that's what happens. You know, it's a Hollywood ending, but then it's just like, Oh shit. He's just, and they, it kind of plays on the thing that they do a lot of talking in this movie and not a lot of action. Yeah. And it's one of those things. It's just unfortunate what happens by the end of the film. And it's, I mean, it's absolutely nuts what happens at the end of the film. I'm not going to spoil it obviously, but it is one of the most unique takes on an ending. I think I've, possibly ever seen so yeah. i mean I, I and we just want to reiterate and i know we have a lot of films here but if there's any even if you're not a fan of foreign film um and this is subbed i, I don't know if there's going to be a dub version or anything it is a film that you have to see see it for yeah. yourself and experience it and you know you'll you'll understand what it is we're talking about here nabil i get it i'm gonna see it okay <laughs> please stop giving me grief sheesh no good stuff guys um I didn't get a chance to see it, but I definitely will. So with that being said, on to my number one, Midsummer. I told you that I want to go to that festival in Sweden. No, you said it would be cool to go. Yeah, and then I got the opportunity and I decided Look, to do it. I don't mind it. you going. I just wish you would have told me. That's all. Dude, she needs a therapist. You've been wanting out of this stupid relationship for like a year now. And don't forget about all of the beautiful Swedish women you'll meet in June. Okay, guys. That's not her again. Seriously? Babe, what's happening? Danny. 
I was so very sorry to hear about what happened. I'm sorry. Okay, this one also happens to be James's number six. It took a lot of thought and echoing what James said, my last three, maybe even my last four could be interchanged between each other. But I had to think of a movie that really left a deep impact in me and that had me define this year in movies. And of all the ones that I've mentioned up until now, Midsummer is the one that just stood out. And this is actually quite a surprise for me because it's a horror movie. And I know we've only done this like three years, but this is actually the first time a horror movie has actually made it to my number one spot, which I know probably shocked the hell out of James. No, so, not really. So <laughs> this this movie is done by Ari Aster, who's easily becoming one of my favorite directors, uh, both in horror and just in cinema in general. And... I thought this movie was just done so well. I know it, it split audiences. Some people think it's great. Some people think it's horrible. I thought it was fucking fantastic from the very beginning. Aster just does a great job at just making something horrible look riveting. Like, it, I mean, the whole beginning of the movie with the main character of Danny losing, you know, her family in a horrible fire, you... It's it's such a horrible scene, but you can't help but keep your eyes glued to it. I think it's an it's an incredible feat for a director to be able to do that. Or it's so bad, it's good. Not that I'm glorifying that happening to anybody or anything. That's not what I'm saying here. I'm just saying that cinematically, that's just an incredible feat. the The whole movie is layered as well, similar to what I said with the movie Us, but this is a little bit different. I know Ari Aster wrote this movie after he had just gone through like a horrible breakup and it's essentially what laid the foundation for this movie. Despite what happens in the movie, it's all pretty much could be considered an allegory for a horrible relationship going wrong and ending up in a breakup, but in a much more detailed and horrific manner. I like that it's mixed in with, uh, I guess, uh, Nordic, uh, folklore in there which i don't know why but it just adds that extra level of creepiness to the movie the way that there's a lot of um illusions throughout the movie via murals throughout the encampment where the main characters go to that kind of clue you in as to what's going to happen and even though you already see that coming it's still creepy when it happens uh like when the main guy christian is is trying to get uh, I guess seduced into a, a different relationship as the steps are occurring. It's still freaky. And Ari Aster is just, like I said, really good at making situations uncomfortable. The whole like human sacrifice scene was just horrific. And it was just quite a shocker at how much detail that Ari Aster did similar to what he did with hereditary and he just doubles down on it this time. I think the characters had a great chemistry as well, too. It really seemed like these people uh, had established history, uh, had friendships that have been going on for years. And to see them kind of get ripped apart by this society one by one is just something incredible to watch. Not necessarily in a good way, but it's just something interesting to watch. Um, the whole ending of the movie, I really appreciated it. I know some people 
probably didn't really like get it or didn't really like it, but I felt it was well fitting for the movie. And it's like I said, definitely my, my number one for the year. Uh, what did you think, James? Yeah, no, I, I Ari Aster's excellent. Uh, Hereditary was my number two film from last year um, or the year before 2017, 2018. I keep forgetting when it came out. Uh, it's a movie that is a horror film. It has some very disturbing sequences in it, too. I remember getting out of the theater on this one, as we talked about on the podcast that we reviewed for this one as well, that um, I wasn't sure if I liked it. It's one of those movies that definitely I the more I thought about it, the more I started liking and appreciating what it was bringing to the table. It's a film that definitely I think is plays on your fears of like what could happen in an unknown area. And also it's all, a lot of it happens in broad daylight, which I liked a lot too shows you kind of like horror isn't just in the darkness or in the night. It can be right in the middle of the day. Cause during the time they're there, it's like daylight for most of the day. Yeah. So that, that's a cool little concept that they did as well. Uh, I think Florence Pug, uh, once again, fantastic, uh, role in this one. She really plays it off. Um, it's, it's a movie too, that, with multiple viewings, I've seen this one about two and a half times now because I, I watched the director's cut of it too. And I think the director's cut, if you have the chance to see that version of it, is the better version of the film. It's quite a bit longer. But it's a film that with repeat viewings, you start picking up on more, even more things. Just like on Hereditary, watching it a second time, I noticed even more things. So uh, solid horror film. It's one of those movies that definitely is uh, should be watched. And I think... Once again, it's a longer film, but uh, try to try to watch it all throughout in one sitting too. Give it a chance. All right, guys. So my number one now, and the final movie on our list here is The Farewell. What's wrong, Dad? Please tell me. When that is dying. She doesn't know, so you can't say anything. The family thinks it's better not to tell her. Why is that better? Chinese people have saying, when people get cancer, they die. I have to go to China. Wedding is an excuse so everyone can see her. He's my only cousin. Don't you think I should be there? You can't hide your emotions. If you go then we'll find out right away. And this is Nabil's number three pick as well. So um, this movie definitely surprised me because going off of the trailers, it looked really fucking depressing. And my track record with Aquafina wasn't the best at this point because of um, a movie that we reviewed last year called <laughs> Ocean's Eight. So call this movie going into it, I didn't know a lot, but then I watched Crazy Rich Asians and I'm like, she seems really cool. And this one surprised me because it's a movie about as I mean, I've talked about it before and we were watching where they base their grandmother is sick and lives in China and they kind of have a fake wedding to go out there and everyone say their goodbyes because they don't want to tell her directly because they think that you know that's the way that you die because of the worrying that you have when it's when you find out you're sick and it's terminal and i knew this it's crazy because when this movie came out back in august i knew right then and there that was my number one pick already for the year and that basically that was the movie that anything else had to topple over and i have to say that it's based on Lulu Wang, the director, her actual story about what they did with her grandmother. And I, Aquafina was fantastic in this movie. I really liked her performance. She reminds me very much of people I know, actually, in real life. She plays Billy. Um, Shizen Zhao as Nai Nai is fantastic, too. She's actually a, quite a legendary Chinese actress. And to get her on this film was pretty big 
for a lot of the people here. And everyone, it's just everybody in this movie just works. And it, it's something where, I, you, as you guys know, I'm, I'm half Filipino, so I'm not Chinese or anything. But it's one of those things where a lot of this stuff is pretty relatable, and especially some of these situations. I'm not saying that I'm staging a fake wedding anytime soon to tell my grandmother she's dying or anything. But, <laughs> hey, you never know. It's fantastic. I hope Aquafina is nominated for an Academy Award. And I think, truthfully, she has a pretty goddamn good chance. And by the way, just to mention, because this is a day after Golden Globe, she did win she did. Best Actress for the uh, comedy or musical. And she is actually the only Asian woman to ever win that award. So congrats. Yeah. So well I, 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 a very good speech from her. She's she's hilarious, too. So uh, what about you, Nabil? You have it at number three. Yeah, I, I think it was a, a wonderful film. The story itself, I wasn't sure what I was going to get into. Like you said, James, it. it seemed like it was going to be a lot sadder than it was. Uh, it was just mm-hmm. a very good take on a different culture getting involved, you know, from a perspective of Aquafina being mostly raised in America in the, in, in the film and then going back to China and trying to understand the customs and the cultures of, of her people and why they're doing what they're doing. And you, it's a yeah. really good gateway into seeing that uh, the, the different perspective and feeling as we are outsiders watching this trying to see well i can see why they feel that way or what's going on and and aquafina asking the questions we want to ask you know about why don't you just tell her why don't you just do this or you know whatever it might be and and, and something i want to mention real quick too is i really liked how she feels very left out because she actually did live with them when she yeah. was a child and then when she moved she feels like she's never actually belonged to a place which i thought was a very great kind of character arc on her part and it shows you that there's there's a lot more than her just being like the oh, i'm the the uh american girl coming over here and not understanding you guys why the fuck you're doing this kind of stuff and i it, it's it's very sad because i i think all of us have some kind of a memory of a place that we haven't been to in a long time and going back it's just like nothing's changed and it's a strange kind of feeling yep and I, I really enjoy the aspect of that kind of message that they give you, like, you know, even though you leave, like, this is still your family overall. And it, even though she doesn't quite agree with everything that's going on, it's it's the take that they do on it. I think it, actually they make it kind of funny, too, which works yeah, out. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, th- I think it makes it very relatable for people who have family in other countries and have ever felt that way as well, too. I just saw the movie last night. And I agree with everything you guys just said. It's an incredible movie. Definitely. Uh, anything else? Sorry, Nubal. I know I cut you off there. Sorry. No, that's all. You know, just like you guys said and well-deserved, uh, Aquafina won the Golden Globe. And that, I think that speaks volumes that she did an excellent job in this film. And, um, you know, hopefully she does get to do a lot more kind of serious roles as well. Yeah, definitely. All right, guys. So that is our top 10 with two honorable mentions list. Like we said, we're going to have uh, it written out for you guys, too, because I know it's always a bit jumbled this way. But trust me, it's much easier this way to talk about it all. So I do want to bring up a couple things before we do our closing on the top movies of the decade. Uh, how was 2019 overall for you guys? What, do you, what did you think? Uh, I'll start with you, Marco. I thought it was challenging for movies. I, I felt that they were a lot more misses this year than yeah. the previous two years. And it was a little bit more, I wouldn't say, I, I guess it wasn't that difficult to make my list a little bit easier actually, because I could easily point out which movies stood out the most this year, as opposed to previous years where I'd really fiddle between, you know, number five, number six, number eight, number seven. No, Mark, you're just but, getting better at it, man. 
<laughs> or maybe it could be that. Yeah, you're scared. But man, it, it's it just felt like there were a lot of misses. You know, I mean, hopefully, you know, hey, 2020 New Year, let's let's go. Hopefully that you know surprises me this year. And yeah, there's no, a lot more hits this year. Don't worry, but no Star Wars this year, guys. No Star Wars. No, no the Star Wars gone. So what about you, Nabil? You know, I, I'm I'm glad to hear Marco you say that because. I felt exactly the same way. Even just going through the list, I'm like, is it just me or did I just not connect with a lot of films this year? Um, watching through the list that we got to see, I got to catch up on a lot of the Oscar films or potential Oscar films. And that's helped me a lot. But it's been a really rough year overall outside of some big, even even the big blockbusters, you know, like Lion King and Aladdin, though they did well, they weren't really critically uh, successful. Um, so there's been some some miss, hard misses in in uh, for 2019 so hopefully it does change for next year yeah i was i've been talking to janelle about this like the whole year it's like man this like i, I always try to kind of keep a list of a top 10 to make it a little bit easier on me at the end of the year because i don't know if you guys notice this or not but i watch a little bit too much movies i think and no, it's a little notice. hard to keep that shit tracked so i try to keep like a running list and Man, it was hard up until August before I saw the farewell. I was like, that's the first good movie I've seen all yeah, fucking Hey, James, year. you don't need to pull out your yeah. list right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things where I think we got a lot of reboots and sequels again this year, which, I mean, truthfully, we get that a lot. But this year in general, for instance, you know, Dark Phoenix, Men in Black, all these other movies that we saw too, and they just fucking sucked. Just not all of them hit their mark. No, and I mean, some of them were okay. They had their moments and such, but it seemed like a lot of people just waited for award season to drop the good ones. For instance, yeah. the bill like Parasite, I didn't see until like October. And it's one of those movies that it seemed like maybe they were holding back on stuff. And there's a, I mean, we're going to go over what we didn't see. And it's just one of those things where I think every year, uh, kind of echoing Marco here, I have like a much bigger initial list where it's like 45 films. I'm like, okay, I got to cut this shit down. And this year it was literally like I had 17. I was like, oh, this ain't that bad. I mean, let me just cut off five of them real quick, right? Right. And it was like, okay, well, that's kind of weird. And I don't know. I mean, and I, it's not like we watch less films. We watch just as many or maybe even more than last year, especially when you do a nine fucking movie Fast and Furious marathon. <laughs> so I feel like we did a little bit more because we're now part of that regal membership now so oh yeah that helped out too yeah. i mean truthfully leading up to it we've only ever been gapped between a movie club for like a couple months at most for what movie pass uh i forgot what the other one was i failed to cinema there it is yeah rip yeah r.i.p to all these guys we uh cleared them out a little too hard so uh what was you guys most disappointing films then uh starting with you nabil for the uh, year just just one film and why was it disappointing Dark Phoenix was actually my most disappointing film. Were you um, looking forward to that, though? I, I was. So when the second trailer came out, I felt a little bit better about it because the second trailer did, uh, you know, changed up the tone of what, what the looked like the film was going to be. Uh, because once again, was, just to, not to cut you off, but this was delayed by like a year. Yes, it was. Yeah. And obviously that didn't help it. Um, the film itself, I, it's the last in the Sexman series. It's going to be a whole new thing now with Disney taking over Fox. So I was hoping that they'd do a better send off of, of the, all the characters. And then, you know, even if it was just a small little homage to, to you know, the, what, 20 years almost history of, of this franchise. Yeah. Um, but Logan did a great job to cap that off. I think we talked about that in the review, though, Nabo, right? Like, that should have yeah. been, like, the cap off. Like, we just ended with Logan. 
Yeah. Yep. They easily should have exactly. left it there. Yeah. Yeah. It was. It was a. It was a big disappointment. Yeah. Really. Uh, what about you, Marco? Mine was Rambo: Less Blood. I was just really excited for this movie and wanted to have an action-packed Sylvester Stallone a la 80s movie, especially after watching the first four. I mean, I know they're not perfect movies, but they were at least entertaining. Yeah. And this one wasn't even that. It wasn't even stupid fun. It was just stupid. It's just dumb, yeah. And I'm like, okay, come on. We could do better than this. Especially after uh, Rambo 4, or technically it's just Rambo, that movie was just a perfect blend of action movie. And it left you satisfied. It it was what you wanted to see. And this one was just, especially with the title Last Blood, like you think it was going to, you know, give you some, something special. And I see what they, what they tried to do with it, but I just felt like it missed its mark and it wasn't satisfying. Uh, Mine was Hellboy. I really liked the first two by Guillermo del Toro and, um, Man, this was so bad. I think that's like not just the most disappointing, but probably the worst movie I saw last year. Because unfortunately, The Grudge came out two days after the fucking New Year. So, <laughs> um, so did you? yeah, oh, we got to talk yeah. about that. So unfortunately, I mean, that might be the decade. Well, we know what's one. making it this year oh, <laughs> for worst movie. I mean, that could have been the decade worst movie, but um, yeah. And I mean, you got David Harbour coming in from Stranger Things. It had a lot of hype. He was like, you know. It, there was supposed to be a darker take on it, rated R. As you can tell from our review, also apparently maybe you can't because it's our lowest, uh, <laughs> our lowest uh, rating one actually. So a lot of you guys didn't give a shit about that movie, and we started thinking about mm, maybe we got to think about what people actually want to see in this goddamn thing. So yeah, a lot of you guys didn't listen to that podcast, but if you did, you know that there was some subplots too that made absolutely no sense. Yeah. Uh, what films did you guys miss out on that you did want to catch up on and that maybe you're going to plan on seeing before we do our uh, Oscar push here in next week, I guess? Uh, starting with you, Nabil. Um Well, I definitely want to see 1917. I've been really looking forward to the film all of last yeah. year. Uh, so I'm actually going to be seeing it this weekend, uh, thankfully. Um, but also another one I wanted to mention was Dark Waters. Um, that's the Mark Ruffalo film where he's an attorney. See, Nabil, and, just to stop uh, you, that's a Nabil film. <laughs> yeah just to let you know that? that's it no i haven't seen it i want to see it too obviously but uh that one reeks of nabil in a good way in a good way I, it looks way. so interesting to me and i haven't had it yeah. you know had a chance to really watch it in the theaters but that one i'm hoping to catch before the oscars cool uh what about you marco uh i have quite a few i'm just going to run down the list but definitely top movie parasite peanut butter falcon dr sleep queen and slim the last black band in san francisco the report 1917 of course Marriage Story, and surprisingly enough, Missing Link. Uh, yeah, actually, not a bad movie. And a lot of those you can are free right now with your subscriptions. Uh, Hidden Life, because I, I mean, I just can't quit Terrence Malick, guys. I don't know why. Uh, Queen and Slim, because I think it's going to get nominated for some stuff. Dark Waters. Truthfully, I don't really want to watch Dark Waters, but I know it's probably going to get some fucking bullshit uh, award for fucking writing, probably. <laughs> Waves, because that one looks really good. Last Black Man in San Francisco, which people have told me nonstop to watch. It's just one of those movies. that I, It's on Amazon Prime now, so I have no excuse. Yeah, it keeps popping up on my Amazon Prime. Yeah. Uh, Motherless Brooklyn, because yeah. um, I really want to see that one, too. I know it's kind of mixed reviews, but I do want to see it. Uh, Harriet, because once again, I still think that's going to get awards. I'm not super looking forward to it, but it's one of the ones I want to see. And then, like you said, Nibble, 1917, so... Between us, us, real quick here, too, guys. What did you think about our lists? Anything uh, surprising 
on our list for our top 10 200 mentions, Marco? Um, I surprised with all of Nabil's list. No, I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> no, uh, I think I was surprised that yours, I thought Parasite would, would be number one for you, but I guess like the, those two, your one and two are interchangeable, but you were so, you were speaking so highly of Parasite. So I was like, I wonder if that one's going to be James's number one. Uh, that was really yeah, like I said, it, it almost did, but the farewell was definitely the one that's more kind of emotional I yeah. think, with me. So that's the one that I was like, okay, you know, yeah. and, if the movie and, ever makes me tear up, then I'm like, fuck, I gotta add it to my list, I guess. <laughs> and then uh, well, that'd be like every film I watch. Then. Well, yeah, no, I mean, Nabil put the fucking Adams Family originally on there, so I'm like, okay, Jesus. that's weird. Actually, once upon a time in Hollywood for Nabil, I'm not that surprised by it because I know he's a huge Tarantino fan. But I'm talking about him like he's not here. Like you're you're a huge Tarantino <laughs> fan of Bill, but uh, still, I don't think that it was one of his strongest films. So that's why you know I was wondering. Oh, uh, what about you, Nabil? Uh, for well, for Marco, I was surprised you put Star Wars on there. To oh, be yeah. honest, um, I know we we talked a lot about it, but um, and then not even that you put it on there, but that it wasn't just like an honorable mention, but you, it made it in the top ten. So um, I was a little bit surprised by that, and. Uh, for James, I was surprised that you put on Doctor Sleep because I know you were also kind of feeling a little like you enjoyed it, but it was also a little mixed on on the film itself. So um, yeah, those were the shocking to see. It's my fanboyism for fucking Mike Flanagan, dude. Yeah, uh, Nabil's list. I could have uh, I could have read you out this shit in my sleep. Um, <laughs> no surprises whatsoever. No, I'm just kidding. I'm surprised Parasite was on there because I didn't know that she had caught Parasite, but. Um, I mean, everything else pretty much. Uh, I I mean, Fast and Furious Hobbs is the biggest one for me, and I know that's an honorable mention. Yeah, but I could recall that you did not like that movie. That's why I'm like, what the fuck is this doing here? And also, ready or not, dude, because you like, I thought you were talking shit about that movie too. I couldn't remember whether he liked. Well, no, it. No, no, actually, no. I think about it. He liked it. He liked it. Yeah. You didn't like the ending. I did not. Yeah. Yeah, you guys didn't like. I thought it was funny as fuck that they were blown up. So I, I didn't mind that. It just some of the clichéness, but I still like the movie. I mean, but that movie's aware of its camp, I think, too. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, okay. Uh, Marco's List, it's, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's Marco's List. <laughs> it's solid. Uh, I'm glad he did Midsummer's number one, though. Like he said, that is weird that he did a horror film. Yeah. That's probably what threw me off the most. I was like, oh, shit. But um, I remember us talking a lot about Midsummer though. Yeah, man. So I'm not too shocked. And although Nabil thinks it's a Star, I mean, Star Wars and Avengers definitely were going to be on your list no matter what, so. That's it. So let's move on, guys, to our last segment here. It's going to be our top movies of the decade. There's a job to be done. Your choice is between us and nobody. Do you have the papers? Not yet. Take the bloody shot. You really believe your little story is going to make a difference when there's a gun to our heads? The clock is ticking. I think my story is the only thing between you and a gun to your head. Now, shall we begin? This is the deal. You're going somewhere very bad. Do something that'll get you killed. Your courage will never be more needed than it is today. This is Major. I'm insane. 
come and find me. No matter what you think you might know, we will always be one step, three steps, seven steps ahead of you. And just when you think you're catching up, that's when we'll be right behind you. I will find him. I will find him! Are you a rusher? Or are you a dragger? Or are you gonna be on my fucking time? Hope. It is the only thing stronger than fear. I only came here to escape, but I found something much bigger than just myself. Are you willing to fight? If you must blink, do it now. What we seek is far greater than you ever imagined. Showtime, a-holes! Today we face the monsters that are at our door! Today we are canceling the apocalypse! The show goes on! Avengers! Assemble. So for this one, guys, it's because uh, at this point, our podcast is running quite a bit long. We're going to not bore you guys here because we're going to kind of make these more into kind of posts and break it down if you guys have individual questions on them themselves. But we're going to go through 2010 through 2019. It's simply us just kind of listing it. If we have a quick little corp about or something, a little tidbit of fun fact about the movie, we'll talk about it real quick. I'm going to start us all off, though, here because our first two picks are actually exactly the same for 2010 and 2011. <laughs> So, Nabil, Marco, and I, for 2010, chose Inception. And I want to say, did we see this all together? I, I want to say we did. I think we did. I think we actually did. We were a rare 2010 like moment, but I know I saw it with Nabil. I don't know if Marco was there, but I know I'd seen it. I think we did, because we were also excited, because it was before the, the Dark Knight Rises came out. We were excited to see yep. the trailer for it, right? Yeah. I think. Yeah. I want to say yes. Okay. 2011, all three of us also chose the movie Drive, a Nicholas Renfield movie that uh, he's never made in a good movie since then, guys. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to touch shit tried. about him, but he's, he's tried. It's kind of, kind of hard Myst- to fall down. What was it? Not Mystic River. What the fuck was it called? His other one with uh, Ryan Gosling it was fucking, fucking terrible. Dragon one, yeah, yeah. God, and you know it's so random because that director, he's, he's a, uh, it's Nicholas Winding Ref and. And he's in Death Stranding, the video game, by the way. Wow, so, is he really? Yeah, he's like one of the cameo characters. Like, what the hell? Um, Drive, I think, was fantastic. Um, only God forgives, by the way, Nabil. Oh, God, it was bad. Um, so, yeah, this is where we change, though. So I'm going to start with go Nabil, Marco, me, and we'll say that you're just going to be, I'll say the year, you guys just to say what the movie is. And if you want to say anything about it, go ahead. Uh, so 2012 with Nabil. Uh, Skyfall, my favorite spy film, I'll probably... That at least for the decade. Arguably, I think Daniel Craig's best uh, 007 film. Mine is Marvel's The Avengers. I mean, first time ever we have these iconic characters together on one film. I thought Joss Whedon handled that movie perfectly and has one of the most memorable scenes of comic book movie history. The shawarma scene? Uh, yeah, come on. <laughs> <laughs> to uh, fun fact, I actually tried shawarma for the first time ever because of that movie. 
uh, mine is also Marvel's Avengers, actually. So ours is the same. I remember this the most because uh, Nabil and I did a special screening where we saw all the movies except the Hulk leading up to it in a marathon in theaters. All of them, yeah. And um, it was nuts. It was absolutely nuts because it led up to like a midnight screening of that film. So we saw it before everybody else, too, on top of that. And um, I always remember because the lady next to you pissed themselves. Because <laughs> 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 yeah. it was back to back. Yeah, it oh, was, no. it it was, was bad. And I, I always remember that. I was like, oh, shit. Okay. 2013, Nabil. Uh, Richard Linklater said before midnight. I really like the the trilogy of the after sun uh, before sunrise trilogy, and I thought it was a good cap off of that. Yeah, I've never seen any of them. They're on my list. I, I you've spoken very highly of all three films. So, uh, Marco, Fruitvale Station. Uh, Michael B. Jordan was incredible in that. I think it was the first time I had ever seen him on film, and the first time I had seen any of his work since The Wire on HBO. And I, it was also the first time I ever saw my hometown of Oakland, California featured prominently. So I thought that was pretty cool. And it was a very powerful film. Uh, mine is 12 Years a Slave and uh, one of the most horrifying films I've ever seen. And I think um, I'm going to butcher his name because I can never say it. But Chiltil El Jafor does an amazing job in this movie, as does Michael Fassbender. It's the most evil I've ever seen Michael Fassbender. And it's it's something yeah. it's. That's a movie that's hard to watch more than once, but I've done it more than once. So it's one of those things that just uh, it really shows you a, a horrific time in the United States history. So uh, 2014, Nibble. Selma is my 2014 pick. Um, David o- Oyelo. Whoa, <laughs> I can never say his name. Um, absolute nailed Martin Luther King, I, I would say, from from what I've seen. And I, I just thought that whole story and how it was how it took place was it was a great mlk film yeah and i actually remember seeing this with you and you i remember you liked it quite a bit even though we did not see it when it originally came out in the limited release in december it came out technically the following month yeah. but it's still 2014 and i always remember that guy during the academy awards was crying mary hamlet she was just crying he was, he was just all it man cry. fucking hilarious uh no, yeah. uh marco uh mine was boyhood uh, i really like this one thought Richard Linklater did an incredible job keeping this project going so like together so for ten long. years. So long. I just, uh, I just couldn't believe it, and thought that that made the yeah. movie pretty special. Fantastic movie too. Uh, my 2014 one was Guardians of the Galaxy, actually, and I remember seeing this with uh, Marco. Yes, and he was just laughing hysterically throughout the film. And I remember my brother even was like, "Can he tell him to shut the fuck up?" And I, was like, <laughs> I can't, bro. He just keeps especially laughing. at the at the very end. Yeah, I mean, I love the soundtrack too. I even I have it on vinyl. I'm going to be that guy right now. But it's one of those things where I think that's just a, even a standalone film. It's it's perfect. Solid pick. Uh, Nabil, 2015. Uh, Mad Max Fury Road. That's a great Mad Max film, especially, what, 20 years or so after the last one with Mel Gibson. Uh, I hope that he maybe makes more. I don't know. That also happens to be my pick for 2015. It's an incredible incredible movie like cinematically just looks beautiful on screen and the fact that from the very beginning it never nothing ever stops moving in that movie i think it was pretty freaking awesome uh mine for 2015 it was star wars episode 7 the force awakens um apparently i thought these things were gonna get good so <laughs> that's me uh 2016 nabil la la land 
Uh, I still hum the songs every once in a while. It's it's a it's a very good movie. Yeah, uh, Marco. Mine is Arrival. In my eyes, that movie is a fucking masterpiece, and I can watch it multiple times without getting bored. And I think it introduced incredible new feats to sci-fi. Uh, mine was also La La Land. Uh, I still think La La Land is maybe one of my favorite movies of all time. So, like uh, Nabil said, um, fantastic songs, the chemistry, and we cannot forget that they actually they you know this is the year that they also fucked up on the Oscars and they announced yes of course La La Land <laughs> so over Moonlight and uh, that was a shit show that was that was amazing watching that live uh, uh twenty seventeen. Uh, get out that such I feel like is is probably a pinnacle of, of horror at least the modern day horror such a different take on the genre and, and Jordan Peele's career just shooting off from there nice uh, Marco T2 train spotting the sequel to the train spotting movie I think that that movie is so life affirming it's just Good so man. well done and a solid sequel yeah, I really like that one. I remember I saw it because I was in Arizona a day or two before everybody got there uh, with Jenny and her brother David. And I remember I was getting off weren't, like a yeah, weren't you sick? Super bad fever. <laughs> yeah, it was so. Sick. And I was like, I had like a, a pass for it, and I was like, fuck. And I'd never seen a movie by myself, and I was like, fuck it, I'm gonna see a movie because I was feeling better that day. But I was like bedridden like for two days. Yeah, and then I went and saw it, and I was like, "God, it's fucking amazing!" And it really does work well. Uh, your the advice you gave me to watch them back to back. Yeah, yeah. Because I had just the only reason I even went to go see it was that I had just finished the first one on like my iPad, and I was like, "Fuck, there's no excuse now." Right. And then I was like, "Let me go to this random theater in the middle of nowhere because I'm not from this area." Uh, but it was packed, so I didn't. It didn't even feel like I was watching it by myself. But I, although the lady next to me, I will remember. Was like, oh, this is a sequel. Like, she had no idea. I was like, yep. What? <laughs> There's other movies with these guys. Uh, so my 2017 movie, guys, is Baby Driver. I think once again, fantastic soundtrack, really fun movie. Edgar Wright knows what to do. I mean, unless I guess it's Ant Man, and Disney fires him. But outside of that, it's it's an excellent film. John Hamm is like the antagonist, and because we can't mention the other guy anymore. So yeah, I mean, it's just John Hamm. I think right. Yeah, so basically, uh, 2018, Nibble. Uh, the controversial pick of Mission Impossible Fallout. No, such a controversial. Why is that? Why is that controversial? Because I was the only one that had this film as my number one for 2018. <laughs> oh, I mean, it was in our list, but it yeah. wasn't fucking number one. Yeah, pretty sure it was uh, my number five or something because it was a right. solid action movie. That was God, one of my our most fun marathons. I it guess, was right? so fun, and that was such a good payoff. After I'm just waiting for us my- to find. The sequel of movies where we're like, I'm looking forward to these ones a lot. Right. Uh, Marco? Uh, Mine was Blind Spotting. Look at that. Two Oakland-based films on my list. But I think this movie is just incredibly powerful. And I think that it'll transcend past our own generation and still have significant meaning. So, yeah. Yeah. I just, uh, mine was also Blind Spotting as well for 2018. And uh, yeah, everything uh, Marco said pretty much is uh, I just liked the lingo they have, the story about a guy that's just trying to better himself, too. And uh, yeah. And then 2019, obviously, you guys already know what it is. But Nabil, real quick. Uh, Parasite for me, of course. All right. Marco is Midsummer. Yep. And of course, you guys know mine is the farewell. So going into 2020 here, guys, we're about a couple days in. What is your most anticipated film of 2020? Starting with you, Marco. 
my anticipated film of 2020 will be Daniel Villeneuve's version of Dune. You know what? I'm going to make a call on this right now. I think it's not even, there's nothing to even like support this. I think that movie's going to get delayed. So do I actually. I don't think it's coming out this year. No. It seems like a big. They haven't even cast everyone yet, so yeah. that's why I'm like, okay. And the fact that they want to, I don't know, potentially make it like a series too. So I could see that them pushing this to next summer. It's a yeah, it's a very big project, yeah. and I'm actually quite surprised that they originally announced it was going to be still sticking it. Yeah, year. I looked it up too because I was like, is that even coming out this year? I was like, supposedly November, but. The fact that we haven't had any kind of like, even like, here are some photos from the set or something. Nope. I mean, I got photos of the Batman already right now. Yeah, true. So, I mean, you, I mean, shit. Uh, what about you, Nabil? Mine is a SpongeBob SquarePants, the new movie that's coming out. Actually, no, that one looks solid. I ain't gonna lie. <laughs> it, does, it looks like me and Marco laughed in the trailer. That can't be I mean, that's, you know, he's, he's, tumbleweed. Old. yeah, tumbleweed. Um, I'm actually looking forward to Christopher Nolan's new film, Tenet. Uh, the trailer looks trippy. Um, I really like, uh, that, uh, John David Washington. And I think it's, I don't know what to expect from it, but I'm, I'm ready to dive right in. Hey, I've been meaning to ask you this since I was not on the last pod. Cause I, uh, could not talk. <laughs> um, Star Wars. Did you see that in IMAX? Like real IMAX? Not. No. Okay, because Marco and I actually have seen like 15 minutes of Tenet, by the way. They showed it. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah they did the whole IMAX prologue. It was sim- similar to what they did with The Dark Knight. It was fucking right. nuts, just to let you know. Like, we got to see quite a bit of the time bending, and it's it's crazy, dude. It, it Like, I was telling them after the movie, I was like, it's, yeah, I was like, I kind of wish we had just seen Tenet right now, but, you know. <laughs> uh, mine, guys, I, I love James Bond, it's in the name. Uh, 007, No Time to Die. I, I'm looking forward to this one. I, I believe we're going to be doing a at least a marathon on Daniel Craig, James Bond films. One of the movies, I, I've really liked his whole run as James Bond. Of course, Spectre wasn't quite up to par, especially comparing it to Skyfall. But I'm hoping this is a kind of a, a last hurrah for him, and it's a, it's a solid movie. So, Okay, so that is the end of our podcast number 64. That is the best of 2019 and the best of the decade. So as you guys can tell, we have varying differences on our list, but we have some pretty similar tastes, I think, too. And uh, we do just want to thank you guys for listening here. Thank you for all the feedback, response, and reviews. Also, we are still doing our giveaway. I know we said we were going to do it for this episode, but it's such a great big giveaway. We want to give you guys an extra week to get those submissions in. The Movie Pals are giving away an Oculus Go standalone virtual reality headset. Take VR to new places by winning this amazing prize. All you have to do is follow us on all three of our social media platforms. That's Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at MoviePalsPod, as well as share one of our episodes and you will enter a chance to win an Oculus Go. Winner will be announced on our next podcast, Podcast 65. So yeah, speaking of podcast number 65, guys, that will be our next one here. We are doing, it's, I don't, I wouldn't call it a marathon, but we are doing the Bad Boys Trilogy because the final, I mean, some, I mean, I'm assuming final Bad Boys movies coming out. Supposedly. So, I mean, you'll get updates on also the Oscars and such like that during that time, but we will be focusing on the three Bad Boys movies starring Will Smith and Martin Lawrence. So until then, guys, this is James and Marco and Nabil. Have a good one.
We're alone now, Marcus. Yes, we are. Mm, rubbing beards. Mm. Mm. Also, almost forgot, if Jill's listening, I don't want her to kill me. Timothy Chalamet was also incredible, and I'm excited to see him in a movie that I will mention much later in this pod. Seems like that could have waited, but okay, yeah, cool. <laughs> <laughs>